Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Mama's Pearls. I am your hostess, Cynthia, and we are just continuing my conversation with Kathy Pagano on Intune. Um, we just finished up the first segment, and there was just no way I was done with her. There was just way too much to go into, and like every little thing that we talked about, every one segment can be a whole show. And what we're talking about, uh, in case you haven't, um, you're listening to the segments in reverse order, we're talking about monkey see, undo, which is the pearl of the day, and the power and influence of the media and entertainment, and how to basically harness that power in constructive ways and to keep an eye out for the destructive patterns that can emerge from the media and monitoring your family's media diet. Now, in the first segment, we just kind of went all out, and in between our breaks, um, it was actually just watching a film, you know, a short bit of a film called P.S. I Love You with Hilary Swank and Gerard Butler, and it's pretty heart-wrenching. And one of the things I wanted to continue our conversation with Kathy is the experiential factor of films. Like one of the big learning tools I see in films and how we can use it for positive results is basically to, when you watch and experience the film, you can see what happens and play out the consequences in terms of feelings, in terms of actions, the choices that the characters make throughout their storylines and throughout their film and see it to an end. So if you have... Um, you know, an example being played out for before you, you can kind of see if you're make if you decide to make that same choice in your own life, how that's going to play out. Keeping in mind that that um, especially with like legal films and films in the courtroom, that there are, that the um, creators and authors and writers of these of these um, of entertainment take creative license, but you can kind of see in terms of feelings. Like I was talking about my my reactions to the color purple and how I needed to process that, and it really led me to also remember a bunch of other films that deal with abusive relationships and kind of being able to view and experience 
those films and have strong emotional reactions, but also kind of picking up the knowledge of watching a woman go through a, an abusive relationship and seeing the signs or how to read the signs in relationships in your own life that may become or are abusive and you're not able to realize it. So that is um, basically taking a step to using entertainment in a positive way. So, Kathy, I'm glad that you had some time to come come back and join us. Like I said, I wasn't done with you, and, and you and I, like I said, the first time that, that we were chatting, we can just go on for hours. So um, thanks for coming back. <laughs> And um, and so so let's continue because we had a, a lot of good things and I, I want to hear more of of your side. Well, you know, one of the things you were talking about how we can watch films about abusive relationships. We don't have to go through it ourselves, but it gives us the opportunity and the catharsis to to understand what women go through. But um, when you were just talking right now, I was thinking. You know, one of our problems um, is that we don't have um, a mythic consciousness anymore. And um, one of the myths that talks about abuse um, is the most ancient myth of Inanna. And Inanna was the Sumerian goddess of the moon. And, um, and the myth that I'm talking about is when she goes down into the underworld to meet her sister, Ereshkigal, who mourns and is suffering in the underworld. And um, Ereshkiga looks at Inanna with the eye of death and kills her. And when Inanna comes alive again, she has to have send someone back to the underworld to replace her. And the only one that didn't mourn for her while she was away was her husband. So she had to send her husband back down. And if we understood mythic language, we would understand that this is, you know, that this is about those deep places within us that are raging and that we often ignore, but when we get in touch with it, we come back with power and we begin to see, no, you can't abuse me anymore. Um, so you, it would, because we're mythologically impaired, um, we don't <laughs> we feel the emotional part, but that's, that's one part of it. But you have to put a name to the emotion, okay, because otherwise they just overwhelm you, and then you walk away and you go, I don't know what to do with this. You know what I mean? Yeah, where where are some places that we can direct people to kind of filter that out? I mean, one one place off the top of my head is just talking to you and talking to other friends and um, maybe experts in the area of the, the film that you're watching. Um, but where else can we send people to kind of arm themselves with this myth, mythical language? Well, you know, there's wonderful books there, not recently, but, you know, in the last 20 or 30 years, of course, Joseph Campbell speaks that mythology. And one of the people that um, worked with Joseph Campbell was Stephen Larson, and he has a marvelous book called The Mythic Imagination. But, of course, once again, it's 20 or 30 years old. You'd have to look it up. But, it's, you know, when you read myths, and you um, and you think about them. You have to just remember it's like dream language. You have to. Um, it's a metaphor. It's like poetry. You have to begin to understand metaphorical language. And um, it, the same goes with movies. We have so many movies and TV shows we watch, but if we don't have the ability to understand the metaphor, then it's not going to sink in and uh, have as much meaning. Right. Um, just, 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 a, just a sound note again, Cass. You're um, getting you're getting loud and then quiet. Okay. Okay. I so. think it is 
because I got up and walked over to my bookshelf. (laughs) Sit still. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's impossible to sit still. I'm I'm always wandering about when I'm doing the shows, too. But, again, we're working on the sound issues. We got the theme song down. What did you think of the theme song, by the way? Very cute, and it brought me back to all the times my four children would call to me. Uh, I wasn't paying attention at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just love it. David, David did such a good job with it. It's just so funny. The, the funniest part was um, I was playing the theme song in my house the other day, and you know, you know, the boy who's actually David's son, who's recorded on the, on the song, he's screaming, "Mommy, mommy, mommy!" And I kept <laughs> and I kept hearing um, my husband going around, going, "Yes, yes, yes, Colby," <laughs> thinking that he was really, you know, <laughs> that my son was really calling for help. Yeah, but, yeah, it's funny, it's funny. I love so it. Uh, yeah. The things. I'd like to mention that we're not it's not about understanding the imagination, but you were talking about um the be, that um that we can't be perfect raising our children mm-hmm. and um, this goes back to your mom's show and mm-hmm. when I was raising my kids um one of the things I learned was that you're in a relationship with these children because they're really a soul they're a unique individual if you believe in past lives they've been here before. And so I used to tease my children when they got mad at me, and I said, I was here first. You chose me. And, you know, it isn't about being perfect. It is about being present. And, you know, we are present to our children and to our lives in varying degrees. And the more conscious you get, the more present you get, of course. But, um, you know, they come in, I think our children come in having to deal with our imperfections because, we can't create perfect children. They, why would they be here? This supposedly earth, we're here to learn lessons and to grow spiritually. And so we all need our, 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 our wounds and our, and, our, and our blockages because that's how we grow. So um, it's not a, it's, I'm not saying this so that parents can go, oh, great, I can just be as awful as I want with my kids. But it is a relationship, even though they're littler than we are. Mm-hmm. That, it, that happens is that we need to remember. Are you are you walking again? No, I'm not. I'm okay. very still. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're training them to be grown up human beings, and and the biggest thing is to realize that sometimes we do have to say no to them um, for the future. Mm-hmm. You know, the, kids need to know that they can't do everything whenever they want. And um, my generation, the six, you know, the people who were born in the 40s and the 50s, you know, we wanted to give our children everything, and 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 a lot of people brought up selfish children who didn't grow up. Part of it is it is a give and take, and um, even if we don't believe it, in some ways we're equal partners with our children. Right. Well, the whole entitlement issue is a whole other area that we'll 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 get into another another time, but. Um, Going back, just one thing that my mom said that, and she always says to me, which I think you'll appreciate and get a kick out of, is that no matter where I go, wherever I am, whenever I think of my mother, I will see her face. 
Yeah, and that is an image that will constantly be branded, and I can't escape that. My mom is my mom. And, um, yeah, you know, I was talking about with my mom also about the choice that we have coming into this lifetime and preparing and choosing your parents and that it is all in agreement. So I, I am aligned with you in, in that thought process. It's just basically keeping um, keeping moms grounded and, uh, you know, letting them know that it's okay to be more gentle with themselves because a lot of moms stress out so hard about um, being perfect and doing the right things and messing up your kids. You know, you're going to mess them up somewhat. (laughs) It's just impossible, you know, not to. Um, You know, I make mistakes, and there are things every day where I go, I could have done that better. I could have spent more time with my child. I could have been more engaged. I could have slept less and and talked with them more. So, you know, and you also see, just bringing it back to entertainment, you know, you see tons of movies that deal with neglect in children or they deal with overbearing mothers or they deal with overbearing in-laws or they deal, you know, and you see these characters, I mean, um, where they deal with uh, walking on eggshells around around a father, like in Meet the Parents, which is just a hilarious movie. Um, so you see all these different representations of family units and their their relationships. And, you know, one of the other things I was thinking about during the break when we were talking about going back to um, mythological and archetypal stories, you know, the story of Cinderella, which I said before was my, is, you know, was my favorite childhood story, has been done and reincarnated a million times. There's a million different ways and a different million versions of the story of Cinderella and um, and of the fairy tales. There are very similar, you know, you were talking about the warrior the warrior archetype, there are hundreds of, if not thousands, of films and stories and shows that are about the warrior archetype. So there's a commonality in all of these characters and stories that we really attach to because we do have like this experiential experience through these characters where we learn and we grow and evolve and experience the world in similar ways but kind of amplify through who that character is. Yes. If for a moment I'd love to talk about Cinderella for a minute because um <laughs> if you look at it mythologically and you trace it back it's really about wisdom. Um Ella is a form of El which was one of Yahweh's names in the Bible. And it's about finding the light in the darkness, but no one would know that, particularly from the way we think of Cinderella. We think of Cinderella as, you know, the the good the good neglected girl who marries the prince. But in reality, it's all about that innate wisdom that that especially women have that we disregard. And how do we find a way to bring it into the prince or the king? And a fairy tale represents the collective and um, because the collective dominant. And so how do we bring that wisdom into the world and get it accepted by the collective culture? And so underneath the, the fairy tale about, oh, you know, I'm going to go and win my bride or find my groom, is really an under, it's really about feminine consciousness trying to find a way to get accepted and, and valued where it isn't valued. So it's, it's interesting how deep some of these fairy tales are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about Cinderella. <laughs> I love it. 
I can listen to any Cinderella story or wisdom or analysis over and over and over again. So please, more. You know, the wicked stepmother, usually that means, you know, this is a negative mother complex. Moms are here to tell us that we are loved and cherished. Dads are here, that, and this is just, you know, in terms of masculine and feminine, but the father is here to say, you're so wonderful, let me show you how to go out into the world and be appreciated. Now, of course, we mix that now because women are more out in the world too. But um, So this is about a, a place or, or, or an aspect of life when, when the masculine is very weak, the feminine is very negative, and yet how do you hold on to your sense of self? And it's through that belief in spirit, the fairy godmother is, is that magical place. Okay, and one of the Cinderella um, variants is that Cinderella goes out, her real mother gave her a doll, or there's another variant where there's a tree and she sits under the tree and when she wants to go to the ball, the dress drops out of the tree. And so it's a real story about when there is no feminine when people don't place value on the feminine, um, that we have to go back to our original, you know, maybe nature, come back into your original self and find the power within yourself to to bring about change. So it is a wonderful fairy tale. And Walt Disney does, did, you know, a disservice to some of us by making it seem as if all of us are waiting around for our prince to arrive. Mm -hmm. Um, We are the prince. You know, it's about women finding our own way to deal with the world rather than what's expected of us. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And the whole mommy complex, that, that explains <laughs> explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> explains a lot of, of, of why I love it. My mom and I, oh, my God, that's so funny. Um, but, yeah, I just I love that story. And, and it, stays, it stays with me. And every time I see a Cinderella story, I mean, the, the last one that I loved, loved was um, Ever After yes. and Drew with Drew Barrymore. She was, she was fantastic in that movie. I mean, um, it was kind of like went under the radar, but it was such a, such a good, good movie. And, um, and the wisdom and strength of her character in that movie is just, you know, it's just an awesome female role. And that's who Cinderella was. She was strong. I mean, she did everything. She yeah. took care of business. You know, she's and like the modern mom. We do, we, you know, we uh, do everything. We take care of everything around the house. We take care of everyone. We do the cooking. We do the cleaning. We make sure the the kids get off to school. We make sure the cat is fed, and you know, the animals are taken care of in the yard, or the gardener comes to cut the grass. Right. Yeah. But you know what? The other side is we don't value that. And for and mm-hmm. I'm not talking about going back to a time where women stayed home because, of course, we're creative and, of course, we want to participate. But the patriarchal culture we live in, it values it and yet it doesn't, you know. And we have to learn to, val- to realize that if we didn't create a family, nobody else is going to. If we don't cook and chop the wood and clean the floors – Nobody's going to. And that's the important thing in life, family and relationship and children and love. Those are the important things, not how much money you make. What are the other um, main female archetypes that you see being repetitively um, portrayed and redone in in media? Well, you know, 
I don't know if we're really, if we really have strong characters for that. We have warrior women, um, definitely. You look at Laura Croft. You look at the women who, you know, are macho and go out there and fight like the men. I personally think that the best female character I've seen in a movie is in a movie called Dangerous Beauty. And it's a true story of a Venetian courtesan. And she's sensual, she's intelligent, she has great, you know, she listens to her feelings, and, um, and she stands by her truth. We don't often get characters that are that whole. Um, so it's, you know, the feminine archetypes are transforming right now because, you know, one of the ways we talk about it in psychology is the return of the goddess. And that's really important because for centuries now we have rejected the feminine and we've rejected the spirit. And so, you know, I think we're going to have new images of the feminine coming in. Um, we're sort of in a, you know, when the tides go in and out, you get eddies. We're sort of in that place where we don't quite have a clear view of what that entails. But I think she'll be magical. I think she'll have power. I think she'll be kind. I think she'll be loving and sexual, um, you know, and you don't often get characters that are that full, <laughs> at least not yet. Well, that's true, and that's one of the biggest complaints among actresses in Hollywood is that there aren't rich, deep female roles. So um, the more that these roles are available, the more that we'll excuse me, see these archetypes being being played out. And um, and the more that women makers films get made, the more that we'll see the the feminine um, the feminine view really arising. Now, yes. um, another topic that I wanted to go back and just talk about for a, expand on a little bit was when you were talking about the repetition of one engaging quality show versus the bombardment of a series of of fluff or of shows that, you know, not necessarily fluff to put any, any one particular thing down, but um, a series of shows or entertainment that your child's not really engaged in. And, um, you know, seeing your child engaged is is just the most magical thing that you can witness as a parent. And a lot of the formats for the kids' shows is based on repetition because repetition is really how these children learn um, and reinforcement and especially particularly positive reinforcement. And most of the formats now, which I think are different than when even I was a child, the formats kind of all follow like Dora the Explorer where, um, you know, you have you have Dora and it's kind of like the same storyline. She has to go get some place and she has to go, you know, the map guides her where to go and it's usually three stops along the way and she has to hit the first spot, the second stop, and then the third spot is the destination. Um, and through the through each segment, you know, in each 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 mapped out step, like she turns to the audience and to the kids basically and is like, okay, what's next? This, that, and this, you know, and that's repeated the whole time. After watching that same episode for a hundred times, it drives me insane, but my kids get it and they're screaming out. And even now um, they have a whole series of Dora books, which is what I was talking about before with the licensing, but 
have a whole series of Dara books where now my kids sit and they, they view one episode and now they're reading the books and they know exactly what's going to happen and they're basically telling me the story. I don't know if they're reading it, but they're seeing the images, the picture images, and knows they know exactly the story. Now, every single one of these shows now follow that same format where you have it laid out. It's just, you know, the situation's different a little bit. The three destinations instead of grandma's house, it's, you know, the forest or the troll bridge or, you know what I mean? There's, there's, <laughs> there's, you know, just different variants of the same, the same sequencing. And then there's that pauses turning to the audience and asking, okay, what do we do next? For me, it drives me crazy, and I don't remember the Smurfs being like that. The Smurfs just kind of like happened. You know, there was, there was definitely repetition, but not this stop and pause effect that we have now with the children. Well, I guess I don't have children or, you know, around or grandchildren around, but that sounds to me like they're trying to make, you know, the interaction. And it's interesting because the number three has the energy of a process. If something happened once, you know, it's, singular. If it happens twice, it could be a coincidence. By the time you get to the third one, you know it's a pattern. Just like in Cinderella, she goes to three balls. So, you know, the people who are writing for TV... Hey, what do you mean she goes through three balls? Usually Cinderella or any of the variants, there's always three balls that you go to. There's, the number three is repeated in fairy tales a lot. And usually the, the um, princess has to show up in three, in three different dresses. Now, I don't know which Cinderella variant you grew up with, but there's usually three. She dresses in the dress of the, of the golden dress of the sun, the silvery dress of the moon, and the shining dress of the stars, um, or some variant of that. And it is about a process. So it's, you know, and, and, you know, finally, you know, writers, I think, I think back in the 30s and 40s when they had really good writers in Hollywood, you know, they knew that. We've gone through a really dry period, but once again, Hollywood people are studying the mythic structures. And so I think the three is good. What it is, is it's like a teacher, you know, so it drives you crazy because you know, but the kids are learning and they do learn by repetition. <laughs> when I was growing up, the nuns made us memorize things and they don't do that in school so much I hear anymore, but that's how kids learn. So right. you have to walk out of the rooms, Cynthia, and let them do it themselves. <laughs> no, because they get so excited about each stage, and when they turn to me and they go, the troll bridge, it has to be like this big, like, celebratory thing, like, oh, my God, the troll bridge. <laughs> Look at the troll. Is he scary? Is he nice? What is he asking? I mean, it's a, it's a whole it's a whole thing. Um, I wish I could just skip out of the room. And like I said, sometimes I do when, when the TV's babysitting them. But when I'm there, it's um, it's more of an, an interactive, a three-way interactive experience. Um, yeah. It was good afterwards to shut it off and not let them go on to the next thing and then talk about it and then maybe even say, oh, now – I know that in the show at the troll bridge you have to do something, but let's go off and explore. Where do you think the troll goes after you go over the bridge? Do you know what I mean? And so you use it to expand their imagination rather than just staying with it. Right, right. And, well, the thing about, about shutting it off brings back to the whole basically portion control of aspect of the media diet. 
and yeah. basically setting up a structure where they get their healthy servings or their healthy portions, kind of like breakfast, lunch, dinner. Um, the problem is, is when you wake up a little bit early, it's not quite breakfast. You need an afternoon snack. You need something to tide you over between dinner. You know? um, and that's where we run into the control with the problems in terms of being the gluttonous and just the, the overconsumption of media and over, basically being overstimulated. Um, and you see people, they get really, you know, they just want to zone out in terms of the, the television. And that, that is one, one aspect of, of what can be a positive that can turn to a negative. You know, many people, they go to the movies or they watch TV because it is a great escapist mechanism and method and relatively inexpensive in comparison to many other um, things that you could be doing with your time and with your money. And people need that escape. They come home from work, they're stressed out, they need to just, you know, unload or turn on the nightly news, which to me is not relaxing, or, you know, turn on turn on a show like Modern Family and just laugh a little bit. You know, we do need that. We need laughter. We need to relax. But if we train our children early not to use it as a, what do they call when you, a pacifier. Right. um, Then when they work, hopefully by the time they get up, we'll have different work habits because Americans work way too hard and, it keeps us stupid. It keeps, uh, you know, we, everybody's so tired. They go home and they do fade out in front of the TV. But um, hopefully when our kids, these kids grow up, they won't, they'll have a different, you know, way to be in the world. But, you know, the thing is, it's about, you know, it's about um, imagination and creativity even in what you let them watch and how they watch it. Some days you're going to leave them there. But other days, you know, you shut it off, and they might complain, but you make but you make something else up. When I lived in Zurich, we didn't have a TV, and I had four kids. They cut right. out, my oldest daughter cut out paper dolls. They played school. They played right. with their play schools. You know, it's about how do you use, you have the kids to be imaginative, too. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with with my um, my my summers at camp was, that was that was a time to unplug. You know, maybe w- once or twice during the summers that we do field trips out to the movies um, on a rainy day. But there's um, but there's very little in the way of there was no daily interaction with tele- with television. There was, we just didn't have that up. But in our everyday modern modern world, when I go to people's houses, the TV is usually on. And it's become kind of like background elevator music. You know, even even when you're not really watching, it's still it's still on and prevalent. Um, as well as the the other forms of media in our lives, we basically get in the car and we turn on the radio. There's music, and there's another area that could be potentially bombarding. Um, even though there's nothing more fun than like finding finding a song that your family loves to to sing and bop in the car to. Uh, my daughter happens to love "Boom Boom Pal" by the Black Black Eyed Peas, <laughs> and that's what she sings. When we get in the car, she asks for it. She wants me to basically find it, and lucky for her, it's on at least you know 40 stations at a time. So. Um, 
So it's and the media is everywhere, and the media industry and entertainment industry and advertisers are looking for even more places to put their content um, and to reach you. So you know, aside from billboards and bus stops and um, posters, that there's 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 um, advertisements now even in banks and um, you know on like the kiosks and you know and and in more and more places. So it's kind of going to be even harder to tune tune it out even when you want to. Yeah, especially with the kids growing up, you know, practically attached to computers now. Right. And and so it's a very funny and interesting time because there's a man, I don't remember his last name, but he wrote a book called The Goddess in the Alphabet about how um, once you learn to write, usually a culture becomes very patriarchal and hierarchical because of the, you break up the words. But if you think in images, it's much more feminine. And he was saying that with the movies and with the um, computers, you know, we're coming back to a feminine consciousness. But once again, are we being fed it or or is our own imagination waking up and, and putting it into the world? And so once again, it's all about balance, as you were saying before. Right. We need, we can't just, you know, I once again I go back to what I learned years ago, and I don't remember exactly the numbers. But you know, t- we our brain operates, let's say, at eight megahertz, but TVs operate at a hundred megahertz. So when we let our kids sit in front of a TV, their brains are being bombarded with with too much information and too much energy, and maybe that's why everybody has ADD. I don't know. <laughs> Can't pay attention. Well, well, I mean, you look at also the format of commercials in terms of, you know, possibly having a causal relationship with ADD, where you focus on a story, and the stories, especially for television, are cut to basically fit in commercial time, and that pulls your attention away and out of the story into, you know, three other products and things in in under two minutes. And you're expected to bounce right back into the story where you left off when you're coming back from the commercial break. Right. Well, you know, the way we can do it, and this is what moms can do, and, and you know, it's about, it's about making sure that you have time with your children to be creative. Mm-hmm. And whether it's drawing, dancing, telling stories, you know, make up stories. That's the hardest thing for us to do. I oh think. my God! No, that's one of my most favorite things to do with them is to to make up stories. Stories, yeah. But a lot of people have a hard time. I do. I'm a storyteller, so I I can right. do it. But but you know, part of it is is to stretch your own imagination because children are mimics. They learn from us. If mm-hmm. we can be imaginative, they'll be imaginative. You can't sit there and tell a child go use your imagination, and if they look around and everybody around them is is watching TV or not being imaginative. So, you know, as you stretch your imagination, you'll stretch your children's imagination. And, you know, that's really, you know, imagination is our most important um, function. It's where we connect to the God spirit, where we connect to our own spirit. Um, It's where we create new things from. And so if we dull it too much with too much media, then we aren't a creative nation anymore. And um, right. so we're going to all have to find our balance, won't we? It's it's not about them 
creating more and more media outlets. It's about us choosing which ones we want to be open to. Right, and if parents get stuck in terms of the imaginatory play and storytelling, you know, use variants from stories that you've seen and that you like. You know, apply the Dora the Explorer format of storytelling and just change it up a little bit. Um, yeah. Keep that keep that in the house now from the legal side. Like, don't go ahead <laughs> and uh, try and sell your own version of Dora the Explorer unless you um, talk to a copyright attorney first. But anyway, um, but you know, when you're talking with your kids, you know, use those stories that that you like and and your kids like, and just basically, you know, change it up a little bit for them. They'll love it. Um, I made up a story with them. With my kids, we were we were upstate with my cousins, and it was basically a bunch of the kids, and I was just hanging out with them before they all, all went down, and I started telling them a once-upon-a-time story of this castle in a kingdom far, far away, and it was, um, there was a big party, it was a birthday party, a sweet 16, and I just, and when you do it, the more descriptive that you can be, like, get into what the castle was like. It was really tall, and it was, you know, very bright, and it was sunny out, so when you get Get stuck, just go for adjectives, and then the story kind of follows from that. Um, who was the king? What was his name? What was he wearing? What were the jewels on his crown? And I just went on and on and on with, with this story. And the kids, like, they loved it. And, you know, I left it at a cliffhanger because the other moms were telling me to put the kids to bed because it was late. So, um, but in the morning, they were asking me what was happening with the princess and the prince and the and the and the stones and the dragon and you know I had all the standard players in in the story and they were all asking me about it and so it was like that ongoing thing well you're gonna have to wait until tonight before bedtime before you hear what happens to the princess so um so yeah so if you get stuck use your imagination use use adjectives try and keep the storyline and you'll you'll see that it will become really a fun way to interact with your child and ask your children um, if they ask like what color is the cake you'd be like I don't know what what color you like oh I like pink well it was a big pink cake and then if, you know my son will be like I like green well it had green candles and you can like create this world and kind of build it build it together um, and really share in a in a beautiful bonding experience. Um, where you create a beautiful story. Yeah. yeah. And when you get stuck, move around. And when I work with right. um, writing clients, you know, and they get um, writer's block, I say, well, get up and dance. Go for a walk. Move the energy. Um, mm -hmm. And you see, the more that you, you know, help your children discover that they can make things up and play by themselves, that they don't need distractions, the less they will need the TV. And then you can regulate their diet. I mean, okay. besides part, part of me, part of me right now, yeah, I I totally agree with you with regulating their diet. But part of me is going, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> no, well, because you're trying to be everything, and we don't have a village. You know, you're lucky you have your family around, but you know, our culture put everybody in boxes and separated families, and we no longer had that village and those cousins and aunts and uncles who would take on some of the educational and just even the babysitting. Um, so, yeah, moms are, are really in a bind because we're, you know, we have the whole load rather than have the ability to share the load. Right. 
And so the TV becomes, takes the place of the aunts and the uncles and the moms and the grandmothers and, and the wise old teachers and the, the hunters that used to take the little boys out and uh, teach them about the woods. We don't have that anymore. We have to either buy it by sending our kids to lessons or, you know, we have the TV to, as our helper. So, yeah, we're, we have a big dilemma. And in the future, I'm sure we'll, we'll figure it out. But at the moment, you know, the best thing for a mom to do is, is to do your work and, and let them watch the TV, but then give them quality time without the TV and with the imagination. Right. And that's you know? not just a segue to put them on the computer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that's. That's all really good. I knew we weren't done talking. <laughs> we cut that hour out. I was like, there's just no way. <laughs> you know, stories and entertainment is about the imagination. So it's just mm-hmm. about understanding that the imagination dies when it's constantly fed, you know, pablum. Um, when you play with the imagination and stretch it and use the muscles every day, then it's the most wonderful gift that any of us can have that we've been um, given because our our imagination is where we're like God. You know, in the in the Hebrew Bible, it says, you know, God created man and woman in his, in his own image. But it's our creativity that is like God, and um, and it's just you have to find that space that where you don't let the media overwhelm your creativity. That's all. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you prescribed a, and we talked about a very healthy media diet to put our to put our families on um, regulating portion control you know monitoring the exposure making sure it's um, it's appropriate and it's engaging and not just um, you know mindless for, for the kids and also adding some exercise in that in terms of taking it taking it to a level where the TV's off and you don't have your prompts but really just sitting with you and your kids around around the table or around uh, the old campfire and telling stories and singing songs and having a good time. Yeah. So, well, yeah. you know, you could even you don't even you could say, okay, when Dora, you know, is done, shut the TV off and say, okay, draw Dora, draw the troll bridge, you know, right. take it from form so that so that what they've seen and maybe learned, you know, they integrate it. That's all. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's great, and I think that's brilliant. And um, and just also as a reminder for for parents when they're watching these stories to pay to pay attention and maybe try to educate their themselves about what type of archetypes are being portrayed in the story, so you can further explain or fill in some blanks that maybe the shows that you're watching aren't aren't um, covering for both yourself and your child, so you're not walking around with a puzzling question mark of of why and the how. Right. Because archetypes are there to help us live our lives better. There are the archetypes which we can't know except through images are the images of our instincts. And so how do we get in touch with our instincts when most of our culture lives in its head? We're not in our bodies. So you have to bring what you're learning and embody it. And so for the kids, to just leave them with the TV show you know, especially only the TV, then they go, you know, they go blank. If you've watched children just sit there for hours watching TV, they they have a glaze over their eyes. But if Mm -hmm. you 
if you take what they do and then shut the TV off and then make the kids embody it, they integrate it, and you mm-hmm. embody it. Well, what does it feel like to be Dora? Can you dance it for me, or can you draw it for me? What do you think? Or let what? Uh, where do you think if she hadn't gone? You know, if, if she had followed the troll away from the bridge, what do you think would happen? So, you know, you can use TV, but it's about how we use it. Using it more as a as a springboard. Right, as a springboard to continue sparking your own imagination, not just not just um, feeding off of what's out in front of you. Right. I think that's it. I I feel much better now that we covered that. (laughs) I feel. I swear, I hung up the when we you know when we closed out the first hour. I was just like, there's so much more here, and I felt like we kind of left people hanging on top of a cliff with giving them nowhere nowhere to go. Right. So I felt like this this was really needed to give the um you know, just to kind of close it all up. You know, too, as you know when especially people my age, which is, you know, the baby boomers, we we were we began with T V. You know, we were the first generation to really right. have it. Um, so but we still had, we read more, we still had more imagination. But, you know, one of the things our culture does is it shuts off our imagination. When you're 60, you're not supposed to believe in fairies or whatever. But, you know, this is a good way for parents to get back into in touch with their imagination. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this is what children, this is the gift children give us, that mm-hmm. we can engage in that playful imagination once again and maybe bring find ways to bring it into our own lives. So that's the gift that mm-hmm. being with our children and doing these things can bring us. Mhm. Children are are our greatest teachers. Oh, definitely. And we so marginalize that um that power that they have because they're they're these young little things. Yeah. Um and they, you know, they don't have quote life experience. <laughs> they are our greatest teachers of purity, of um, wonder, of innocence, of just unequivocal and unconditional love. And all of those core things are built upon and bonded upon. And you really can let go of everything when you look just staring down at a baby. I was like, you know totally staring at my niece and and just getting like lost in her a lot of ways and just watching her and watching her smile and it's just it's not complicated it's just right there you know and we get so masked up as we go as we go along we forget to kind of just strip ourselves down to our bare bare essence which is quite miraculous and and it's that whole thing about being able to look at life and see that it's full of spirit and marvel and beauty and grace. And for the most part, our culture doesn't acknowledge that. And I think mothers can lead the way in bringing some of that back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of, one of our, our main and probably hardest jobs, but most important jobs is teaching your children to to live life 
consciously and aware and with grace and with respect um, and with love. People, you know, people, especially grown-ups, they, they forget to laugh and they forget to love and and they're just going about and when they get, when the, you know, the husband and wife come home at the end of the day, it's just, you know, going back and forth. And yeah, you got to do basically your check-in and schedule coordinating and work out like your logistics, but like you just forget to laugh. <laughs> Yeah. And it's just something about joy. just, yeah, joy, exactly. People and are missing the joy. And and part of the joy is that whole magical, imaginative place we go to with children. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And God and goddess for our children. Where would Seriously. We be? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen to that. So as we close up our... Um, second hour here with Kathy on the In Tune segment of Mama's Pearls. I wanted to um, close out with my my standard Mama's Pearls questions. And the first question is, as, um, what is your luxury indulgence? Books. Your books. I love that. Wow, and that's pretty deep. You know, what kind of books though? What's your What's your luxury book? My luxury books, you're gonna laugh, are good fantasy stories because they're the modern myths, and um, and I like to go away. I, I I mean, I'm one of those people that grew up and still is a kid. I want to go away into my imagination, and um, so that's I would say that. And probably music. Well, it seems like you, it seems like you do that on a on a daily basis, though. I mean, do you have another luxury that you do, like when you just have um, an hour of time for yourself? Well, I usually dance. <laughs> I love it. You can see the difference in the generational. You know, everyone in my generation is like, I go for a manicure. <laughs> Oh, I, I, I have facial. Mine's my, my, my facial right now. Never had the money to go and waste on a manicure. I had too many kids that I had to feed. <laughs> well, there you go. I would love to do that, but no, that is not. That's sort of like my 20th thing on a list. I wouldn't even think of a manicure. Um, but, yeah, no, it's mostly me having my creative time. And, um and and so whether it's dance or whether it's reading or whether it's listening to music, that's what I like to do. Or definitely nature. Nature, nature is a yeah. yeah, nature I would put in there. I would never have thought of to put um, the creativity and, and imaginary playtime into the luxury indulgence. So thank you for, for placing it there. Now, my, my next and new question, which is now my, my new favorite question, which which of the following would you choose? The best sex of your life, the best meal of your life, or the best sleep of your life? Now, I would have to pick the best sex of my life unless the sleep of my life gave me a really good dream. <laughs> but if, if Sleep, then you're not getting the dream part usually. And so unless unless it was that you got the most amazing dream out of that sleep, probably sex. Great. And what is the best advice your mama told you? 
Oh, I don't know. I love my mom, but we're totally different. She told me to be going to computers back in the 60s, whereas I went into religion, philosophy, and fairy tales. So you can see that we have quite a different way of looking at things. <laughs> so I would have to say, um, well, or best lesson learned, maybe. Love each other. That's one of the things she drummed into. This is your family. You have to love them. Um, and love I guess them, love them because you can't leave them. <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you so much, Kathy. I loved having you on the show. And, My pleasure. Oh, yeah. And you're welcome any, any time. So do you okay. want to tell, tell people where to find you? Um, well, you can find me, um, one of my websites is www.wisdom, but it's wisdom-of-astrology.com. I had to put the dashes in. And um, that's one of my um, few websites. And you can find the other websites through that. Perfect. Thank you again for being here. And I just wanted to remind people that you can find me on email at Cynthia at mamaspearls.com. I'm on Twitter, which is Cintweet, C-Y-N-T-W-E-E-T. I invite you to join the Mama's, pay, Mama's Pearls fan page on Facebook. And you can read um, any of the past blogs and this week's current blog in tune on my blog website, which is www.mamaspearls.blogspot.com. And you can listen to any of the shows at Mom's Pearls at your leisure in the archives and Blog Talk Radio, which is www.blogtalkradio.com slash mamaspearls. Have a wonderful week. Next week, like I said, my pseudo-sister, Karen Oster will be on, and we're going to be talking about scar tissue. So this is Cynthia at Mama's Pearls reminding you to love your family, enjoy your time, and enjoy your children, and regulate the portions of your media diet. Have a great week.